This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, happy long weekend, happy Memorial Day, and shout out to anyone listening who may have served, and also... Let's think about all of those poor family members that we have lost who may have not been able to be out or may have been treated badly because of who they were. Shit of thinking of you. Hey, today's episode is a chat with my good friend, Elliot Musgrave, who is currently Mr. L.A. Leather and competing in Germany for an additional title. And if you want to know more about the leather community... Please listen to this episode. It is a good one. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. I'm really happy that you're here. I'm happy that I'm here, too. I always have folks introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? I will introduce myself. My name is Elliot Musgrave, and... I am the current Mr. L.A. Leather 2019. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, as well as Mr. Precinct Leather. Um, I am a trans masculine person. Uh, by trade, I'm a personal trainer at Everybody Los Angeles. And what else can I say? Um, I'm a top bottom switch, DS dominant. Great. <laughs> Great. You're also a. Uh you're also a personal friend of mine. We're personal. We're friends. We are friends. Yes, we do friendly things together. Yes, and uh, you've also trained me. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you if you like what you see, no, um, <laughs> just to the listeners. Although recently, I've been having such a hard year that I am taking like a little break from training because I realized I was just stretching next to you <laughs> and then I thought you know what bud is it possible we just save these sessions for a Let's time when I'm a pin in this. when I'm not just stretching yeah. next to you yeah. um but one thing that has been really different for me about spending time with you in um like a sort of athletic and like bodies strength place is that you know I was like a big jock and so sports are about outcomes mm-hmm and then, um, and then in switching to like ever going to a gym, if that's something I do, that was also kind of outcomes focused as well. And, you know, what I know from working with you is that you're like not, your outcomes are a little bit different than the outcomes that maybe I was used to. Right. I do try to help people focus on more internal goals in their training program. So, and those internal goals will ultimately manifest with with external results as well. But those internal goals are a lot more enriching. And I find it helps people stick with a program a little more efficiently. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and also like, I guess it's also been interesting, like spending time thinking about my body with somebody that has a lot of understanding of like ways you could feel uncomfortable in your body and ways you can improve that comfort you know like that's something that I feel like you're bringing to sessions and stuff you're talking mm-hmm. like you talk about like you talk about your body 
which yes. I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that that's actually something like everybody that works in your field, like does, you know what I mean? Like speaks in the, like about their own, like struggles and the things that they've done to feel more comfortable as opposed to just right. like showing up, like as opposed to just like flexing up myself. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, yeah. the difference there? Well, also, I mean, we as queer people have a different culture surrounding our bodies and the way we think about them, the way we talk about them, the words that we use, the relationships that we have with our bodies is very different. So um, that's one thing I appreciate about the space that I work in is I get to be there as a queer person, work with other queer people, and we get to really connect with each other on that level. Yeah, maybe we could even just talk about uh, the gym that you work at also, mm -hmm. because I think there's like some specificity to that, that I, I've never experienced before. Um, but you work at a place called everybody. Correct. Yeah. And it builds itself as a radically inclusive wellness space. So because there really is a lot more that happens there besides yeah. just fitness equipment and moving around and whatnot. There's a wellness component. There's a community component. Um, art and culture is also a big part of the space as well. So it's a very holistic space to be in. It's wonderful. It's also like a gym where when you walk on, walk in, I can't remember what it's on the wall specifically, but it's literally like, like it's like we protect all of our clientele and like trans bodies welcome here and like all mm -hmm. these things that like literally that's not, not on the wall like any gym like I right. just mean literally it's just like blank walls or it's like push you know right. like there's like yeah. there's two other said it says like uh, uh, discrimination of any kind right. will not be tolerated like yeah welcome yeah 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 <laughs> you know what else is funny even as you said that I'm realizing I love the idea of our community not tolerating something because like tolerance right. was a word that I heard. I feel like we hear about this a little bit less, but people being uh, like intolerant of uh, like as if that was just like. Well, I think we've come to a place where we are demanding more than to be tolerated. We're demanding more than to be tolerated. <laughs> and in fact, we reserve the right to not tolerate you. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a big shift. <laughs> yeah. Like to demand more than tolerance, to demand acceptance and to demand more than acceptance to demand kindness mm. and then to demand more than kindness to reserve I, the right to get right. to get you the fuck out of here. I demand that you treat me like a human being. Yeah, what a it's radical, radical. Yeah, yeah, what a radical <laughs> idea. But you haven't always worked at everybody. No, I worked in a boutique gym when I first got my certification and it was, you know, it's very like mainstream. It was unique in that it was a boutique gym so it was class-wise a very specific sector of uh, of the population had access to it because of the pricing. So it wasn't like a big box gym, 24-hour fitness, but... That's interesting also now, just knowing what I know about every everybody, which has like uh, also like sliding scale rates. It's still mm -hmm. a small gym. Like it's not like... Uh, it feels a little like self-selected. It's not necessarily selective but it's maybe self-selected by its clientele right. yes um but it has like sliding scale payment and then it also because there is like such clear signage against like shaming people mm -hmm. i see a lot of people working out in there who are just wearing like completely like specific and bizarre outfits I with unusual hairstyles absolutely and um different body types mm -hmm. and i just feel like it's like it's very different than like yoga pants running whatever it's like 
There's everything is there's going a, on. There. I mean, yeah. there are artists working out there, sex workers, college professors, authors, comedians. Yeah, they, some, yeah. And I would, when you were working with like a, like you're saying a, a clientele was a little bit more behind a paywall. Um, what what was what was that like being a trainer in that capacity? <sighs> It had its challenges um, just because of my own values. I felt like the people I really wanted to work with didn't have access to my services. Um, so was, they just couldn't afford what was I had to charge there. I didn't have any control over my pricing. So uh, working at everybody has been fantastic because I'm an independent contractor. I control every component of my own business. I just pay them rent. And then I come in and I run things the way I want. So I've implemented sliding scale pricing as well, um, as well as uh, some free programming through a project that I started called the TGNB Project. So, and I teach a free class that's for trans, non-binary, and intersex folks. And it's a by-for project. So all the trainers that participate in that program are also trans, non-binary, or intersex. So just space for us to be together and um, engage in physicality together. And by having that um, specific space, people feel safer talking about things that they might not in a mixed class. So it's been great. I wonder also, when did you start training in your life? I started ages wise, or even or even like years ago, Um, approximately four years ago. So I kind of had this career shift during my Jesus year when I was thirty (laughs) three, which coincidentally enough is also around the time I started my transition. So. So a, a lot of things changing at that point in my life. I don't think I actually knew that that was like a a simultaneous uh, uh, moment, the career switch and the yeah the uh, the, the, new the transition itself was um, a little slower. Um, I began a medical transition before I was out about beginning a medical transition. Um, just because that's what was comfortable for me. So, you know, some people are just like, pow, I'm out. And others take a little more time. I was one of those little more time folks. Yeah. Can you tell me as much as you're comfortable with a little bit more about that? When you say you that you began it before you were out about it, what was like the first step that you were taking? Um, I started on HRT, hormone replacement therapy. Um, I started on a very small dose. So... Uh, it was very much uh, me feeling things out to make sure that's what was right for me. And I don't know that I necessarily felt really comfortable coming out about it. I'm still doing a lot of work of like analyzing why that was, but a lot of it had to do with how I was presenting. And uh, I was also in the midst of a divorce that involved a, a custody situation with my child. So I didn't necessarily feel really safe coming out about a medical transition while I was in the midst of this custody fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I yeah. mean, also, who did who did know at this time? Did you have some, did you have my partner, uh, Pony knew, and a couple of friends. A couple of friends. I had a, a couple of friends that were 
very observant and kind of noticed some of the early changes and asked specifically like, Hey, is, is this happening? And it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, it is. So. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's, I feel like, uh, well, first of all, I mean, there certainly is no, there certainly is no path that's like, this is how you do this or Correct. have to do this. Right. And that's one thing I try to tell people all the time. There is no right way finger quotes. I'm doing finger quotes because we're, we're radio here. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's no right way to be trans or to go about your transition. There are so many trans people that never pursue a medical transition for various reasons. Either they have a health condition that prevents it or they just don't want to. And that's valid. Their identity is valid. Absolutely. And I guess I, I the reason I was asking who did know and like it, it's not, there's no, it's not, it's not a, whatever anybody needs to do. I more was thinking about, I was hoping that there were people inside your circle of trust so that you didn't have to be doing that without, absolutely without like witnesses and yeah. support. Yeah. I was definitely supported and, um, at home and, you know, I, I came, I came out about it in my own time and my own way. And we have to make space for people to do things on their own timeline. Yeah, that's right. And also that you were partnered and then like, and partnered and then going through this transition mm -hmm. is something that I am trying to think if just on this podcast, like certainly that exists in the world, a, you know, all tons and tons of times. I'm wondering if that has been true for anybody I've spoken to so far. I think that you might, you might be the first person that that has been their scenario. Right. And uh, the reason is because frequently a, re a relationship does not survive a transition. Yes. It, it's the, in my experience of the people in my circle, it's the exception to the rule. And there was some fear between, um, with, with Pony and I of like, what's going to happen here? Because it was also early in our relationship and a lot of things change for you in regards to what you're attracted to and what you want as you move through a transition as well. You know, I said yes when you said that, like when you were like, a lot of times a relationship doesn't, and I said yes, but I am realizing that that's something as a community we really don't talk about. And in in terms of, like, I think what is portrayed to the outside world, I think it's something that's not, like, it's not escaping our community, and it's not within our community. I think both places, the thing that's being portrayed is um, that people stay together. Yeah, I, I think part of, part of the reason why these relationships don't tend to survive these transitions as well is because of a lack of dialogue around support for the partner. And a lot of, we're all talking about supporting the trans person and um, holding them, but these, our, our partners need a lot of support as well as we move through these transitions because it's not, it's not easy. Did you know that at the time? Like, is that, is that something you look back at hindsight and you're like, I, that person needed support or did you know in real time? It's challenging to know in real time. I can uh, imagine. Because yeah. if you think about think about an adolescent, 
and how self-focused they are. And you're essentially, you you hear it all the time, you're moving through a second adolescence. um, And you're really excited about all these things that are going on for you. And it's really easy to forget about other people in your life. So it's definitely a hindsight 2020 looking back going, wow. (laughs) Yeah. I was kind of an asshole and didn't support my person through that. I'm really grateful that that my relationship survived that and has survived it and continues to. Well, then in that case, and of course, it's not like I think your experience is everybody's experience, but I'm so glad that we're talking about this because like I said, I just don't even think within the community, it's something that I think the narrative is much more like, well, first of all, I think if we look at sort of what is, again, like escaping our community, I think it is sort of a lot of, um, seems to be the narrative is towards the trans feminine as like the most represented uh, situation. And it seems to be the most represented situation is also what was a straight relationship Mm -hmm. where there was a woman and and a man. And then now this will be a relationship where it's... uh, like essentially maybe a lesbian relationship or I'm not trying to live, but, but where right. it's then going to be two women and where also that is going to continue. Like, I think that's the, that's like the most represented story in a really underrepresented group. <laughs> right. This that's really like small population. Yeah. That's and- like maybe the story that's uh, being portrayed the most. Um, uh, and I think that there's some specificity to what, to your life and like mm-hmm. to many people's lives that I know where it's like, well, this was already, this is already a queer couple. You know, this is, uh, this is, th- these are people who are non-binary, like mm-hmm. that, th- that they're not, this isn't even like a, there isn't a fully this side of the fence to fully this side of the fence right. thing going on. I like to describe I, I, most T for T relationships as like a layer cake of gay. <laughs> like it, you don't really get gayer than than a T for T relationship because it doesn't matter how you dissect it, it's gay. <laughs> and I, and I, I think just just to make sure that other folks that are like listening that might like what you're talking about is that you are a trans person and you are partnered to another trans person. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that is well. What is that? What what do you think that brings to your relationship? Uh, it brings a lot to it. I mean, it, it brings a lot of understanding um, instead of – you have a relationship with a cis person and a trans person. Like, there's only so much that that cis person's going to be able to understand about their trans partner's experience. So I feel like we have – a a keen understanding of each other's experience. Um, My spouse also transitioned quite a while ago. So they, they have a lot more experience in the world living that way. Um, We both have the experience of at one point identifying as a dyke. um, And now I think the best way to describe us is just queer, 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 because we're we're not we're not gay men, but we sort of are. <laughs> we still strongly um, feel we have roots in our dyke community because um, we both very much value our ties to that experience. 
and the and the the bonds that we formed with people in that community and we hold on to those friends still. So yeah, I mean I think that that is I think that stuff is all really present, you know, in the way that I know you and it's um like I do think that again it's when we talk about like as a community like non-binary and what that might mean, it it is something that I feel like My experience of you doesn't fucking matter at all, except to say that my experience of you as a person helps me to understand why you would identify that way. Because it makes perfect sense to me based mm-hmm. on the way the things that you present to me. Like it's just it's just not confusing to me at all why you would right. say that. Because like um I do think that you have like uh more energies going on than like what what I, this Cameron Esposito person, reads as like a man, like mm-hmm. a full stop, like period. That's the whole we can identity. Hold, we can we as beings can hold multitudes in us. We are not one thing. We're not there there's so many shades of things going on in us. And I feel like as as I am right now in the world is all of the things that I have experienced coming together and forming who I am right now. So I wouldn't erase any of it for anything, even the really shitty things that when I was going through it, I was just like, ugh. Mm. Um, those things are important. And all of those identities that I embodied on my journey here are important. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, also, well, actually, here's a question that I don't think I know based on what it's something. How are you? How are you read in the world? And then I'm curious about how your relationship is read in the world. I mean, I have my perception of how I'm read, and I don't know if that's always. What do you accurate. think it is? I feel like uh, <laughs> I think that sometimes I just confuse people. I I get I still get misgendered so frequently that I I assume that people think that I'm a gay woman. Um but so much has changed in my world since winning a leather title and being much more immersed in cis gay male space. Um I mean I was already in that space. I was just very invisible in that space and now all of a sudden like I'm very visible. I have Everybody such a huge wants smile. to know me. I have such a huge <laughs> smile on my face. Yeah, I I think maybe before I go on to the second part of that question, I just mm-hmm. want to like live in that moment for a second. I, I got to come see you in your title. I did, I know. I was so happy you were there. I was so happy I was there. I was screaming my head off. I was basically bursting into tears. I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't believe I was just so proud of you. But um I had never been to uh Competition? That's the word for it, right? Contest. Contest, yeah. okay. Just don't call it a pageant. <laughs> Didn't escape the lips. Yeah. I, I had never been to the to a contest. Um, I'd seen photos and it was like very, it was pretty close to what I had expected. Um, I'd literally seen photos on like your Instagram and you're mm-hmm. like, um, and then like just IML, International Mr. Leather is in Chicago. Right. So like that is something that was always in my purview. But could you like describe what the, first of all, actually I'm going to start, scoot back a little bit. Okay. What is the leather community? Oh, what's the best way to describe the leather community? I, the leather community isn't one thing. So um, like other sectors 
in the queer community, there's a lot of layers to it. So you have the women's leather community, you have the men's leather community, you have you even have straight people that participate in leather. You see that a lot more in the women's community than the men's community, but uh, it does happen in the so men's community. So what are like, I guess then maybe an easier way to say this is like, what are some attributes of the leather community? Like, um, let's talk about clothing. What are people wearing? So not just leather. There's also neoprene as a thing. Uh, you have rubber as well, which kind of falls under that leather community umbrella. Typically, and it depends on the season and the theme, there's a whole like (laughs) uniform world that I'm not necessarily involved in, particularly just because it's very expensive. Yeah. And by uniforms, you're talking about like a, it's like a, it looks like a cop uniform Mm -hmm. or it looks like a. Any kind of uniform you can imagine. And it varies. Some of it is. Uh, very true to what it looks like in real life. And then some of it is an exact replica in full leather. So, And then the leather stuff that you're talking about, like right now, what is that? Like a harness suspenders? Yeah, this is a, a, a shoulder harness that attaches to my pants. You got a shoulder harness mm-hmm. on that attaches to your pants and you wore a leather jacket here yep. and you have like a little leather hat. Yeah, that's like, my, What is this called? This kind uh, of hat? A mirror cap. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And typically we would call that our cover. So, (laughs) (laughs) cool. Um, and so you're gonna like, okay, you're gonna, and then like boots, boots are a big thing, big part of it, boots or leather pants, leather pants, or uh, uh, what's a downstairs harness called? (laughs) Like a hip harness, or because also there was a lot of uh, (laughs) there was a lot of um, it's a oh, you're talking about the jocks, yes, yes, that's what it is. So, and the jocks are sometimes made out of fabric, sometimes out of leather. It's and again. so people are like putting on these outfits. Mm-hmm. They are going where? Bars. Um, some groups have camping trips, um, clubs, parties, warehouse parties, play parties, and, picnics. And it's just like a group of people who are all like, we appreciate this self-expression slash what else is happening at these places? So there's play. Um, there's BDSM play and not everyone who is involved in the leather community is necessarily a player. Um, there are people that enjoy playing, but aren't part of the leather community. And can you describe, (laughs) like, what does the word play mean in this context? So I use play in the, um, context of BDSM play. So, which means like, it depends on what you're into. There's so many different things, (laughs) but flogging, spanking, and flogging is like, okay, so spanking is like with a hand? With a hand, with a paddle. And then with, flogging is like with a cat of nine tails or whatever the well, heck that's a, actually a, called. A, a flogger. A flogger. A flogger. The yeah, there's also cat of nine tails are also also a thing. Okay. So, But flogger, it's like that fringe that's all rolled and then goes up into a handle. So it's a lot of, uh, they're called falls. The Got ta- it. The tails are Got called it. falls. Um, and, okay, so like that's going on. And this is happening... Sort of like I don't want to say publicly because that's not the word, but it's but it's happening like sometimes in this in the space. Correct. Sometimes or it privately. is very public, or and it can be private. So there are private dungeons and there are private parties. Typically, if you go to a leather bar on a night that is a leather event, you're going to see some demos or tasters. So a demo is basically the top and an established bottom. 
engaging in a scene together. If it's a taster, that means that basically anybody from the bar can come up and negotiate with that top to participate. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. (laughs) So this is a community that like you found when? That. So I have a kinky father. Ooh. Yes. So, and that's not my, my daddy, but my actual biological father is, is kinky. And so I was exposed to some of this stuff at a very young age, just in that these things were around the house. So uh, I was a very sneaky child, so I was very good at getting my hands on my father's magazines. Got it. So I, from a young age, was reading articles and looking at photographs of these things. I was very drawn to it at a young age. I didn't start participating. I started playing around with it a little bit in my 20s, but I didn't really have access to the community to really explore it further or find a mentor or partners, whatnot. Around the time that I got together with Pony is when I was really able to dive into the community because Pony was obviously very involved in the community. So that sort of facilitated me actually being able to really dive in and explore, learn what I liked, learn what I didn't like, play, and and meet folks. And when you were talking about, like, the whole reason we started this part of the conversation, you were talking about being around these spaces where there's, like, a lot of cisgender men. And that's something that you've spoken to me about, like, mm-hmm. just as humans, as friends and stuff. Um, and it is, if it is, like, very specific in this community because some parts – so, like, cisgender gay men, there are some, like, walls around that community that are, like – pretty finite that don't necessarily exist like the same. I'm not saying like lesbians are crushing it and gay men aren't. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. But there, there seem to be a lot of spaces that where there's like a little bit of where there's like a mixing portion of where there's like a portion of the lesbian community that like is off their rocker and they don't want to like, be expansive in their thought. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of like dyke community that's like now been pretty opened up and there's yeah. a lot of different types of people there. And then there's like this sort of cis gay male community that still seems like it has a lot of insular. There's a action. lot. I feel like there's a lot of nuance at play there. Yes. With with these cis men. Um, I think it's important for us as queer people to acknowledge the trauma of the AIDS crisis in regards to that part of our community. And they're still healing from that. And when a group of people are traumatized, they tend to act out that trauma on others. Um, I have found, I, I came in after I won my title with my hands up ready to fight, thinking I'm going to have to defend my space here. I'm going to have to defend that I belong here. And I was all amped up and ready to go. And then everybody, all these men, all these cis men were delightful. (laughs) Yeah. Wonderful, welcoming, loving, asking me questions, really respectful and kind. And I kind of was like, oh, I can relax. Yeah. I mean, I also, I really appreciate what you said about 
the AIDS crisis. And I also think that another thing that is, again, this is like an exported thought. I do not know that it is actually real for everybody. But another thing that's like an an exported thought is that like, if you are a cis white gay man, you still have a ton of privilege Mm -hmm. in other areas of your life. And so I can also imagine that like, that's a group of people that like, I'm, I hear, we hear stories about that group of people not giving a fuck about the rest of the community. Like, cause they might still get paid the same amount. They're typically not going to be like parenting a child from a previous relationship. You know, mm-hmm. they're not, they're not going to be, um, the, they're not going to suffer from an intersectional identity where they're a gay man who's cisgender, but also black. And so they love to deal with racism. It's like, there's this part of our community that I think we're getting told these stories that like, this is a part of our community that doesn't, you know, give a fuck about the rest of us. But what you're saying is that like, you kind of went in hearing a little bit of that story or like anticipating for self-protection and came came in defensive and then found that like, I just needed to chill the fuck out (laughs) and talk to them and, uh, the more I talk to them, the more I realize they have a lot of the same fears, insecurities, everything that I did. And I was like, oh, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just I just think we all just need to talk to each other more. And there is like this really loud public rhetoric of cis white men are trash. So, of course, they're going to be defensive when— we start to engage with each other because on the internet we're sitting there running our mouths being like, these people are awful, blah, 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 blah. They're, they're the problem. And we just, all of us just need to relax and, and, and listen to each other. <laughs> or flog. Flog, or each, flog other. each other. Yeah, yeah. It's a great way to bond. That's You'll feel <laughs> very, very close. <laughs> <laughs> Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! So when you said when you won your title, so what you mean by that is like, because you're Mr. Precinct, that means like that's a bar. Yes. And so that bar had a contest Mm -hmm. and you were part of that contest and everybody else in that, uh, in that group of people, like who are they? Are they people you already knew before you were in that contest with them? Meaning the people that I ran and ran with, competed with. I didn't know any of them prior to prior to running. So there are what's called feeder titles. So the bar titles and the organizational titles then feed into the Los Angeles Leather Contest. And then the Los Angeles Leather Contest feeds into International Mr. Leather. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so lots of structure here. Um, when When I ran for the precinct title, I didn't know any of the other contestants. How do you get into the 
group that's running? Do you just like put your name in a thing? Like, what is it like? What's the when entry point you there? you fill out an application and you send that in and. For most of these titles, it's a formality. They help that that application informs your contestant profile so the judges know what kind of questions to ask you and whatnot. So, um, yeah, you basically just say, I want to run. And then you, and then you, um, do you bring like looks? You do. Because you had looks at Mr. L.A. Leather. Yes. So this is, so when I describe the process of these contests, that's when I have to tell people it's not a pageant because it sounds very much like a pageant, <laughs> like a, a mass pageant. Um, so you have a judge's panel that happens in private and that's a bulk of your score. So you go in there for anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes and this panel of judges are sitting down and you're standing <laughs> and they can ask you whatever they want. And that ranges from personal questions pulled from your bio to questions about uh, queer and leather history and culture to what kind of play you enjoy. And it's just for them to get to know you. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know about that portion. Yeah. Of so you don't see that portion as an Got audience it. member. So that's why sometimes the crowd favorite won't win. And people are like, what the hell? It's because you didn't see the interview. Interesting. Right. Then you go to the public portion of the contest, and that's where you have the physique portion, which is where we were all wearing our sexy leather underwear yes. and uh, pop questions. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're serious. And then the uh, barware look. So that's just like you're, you're casual. This is what I'd wear to the leather bar to pick up trade. And then you're formal with your speech. And the speech is – I just – I don't know why I didn't like – anticipate that but um I mean yours was it was so it just was it was so moving um are you the first trans contestant I was the first trans person to even run for Mr. L.A. Leather yeah so there'd never been a trans and I would say I rephrase that an, an out trans contestant yes so you so like um First of all, everybody was fun to watch, and it was, like, a fun experience. Also, I think another thing to say is that, like, this particular one was at a, I was at a synagogue. Yes. It was pretty big. You know, there's, like, pews or whatever. I don't know. That's the Catholic word for it. Benches. Um, and it was, like, full of um, everybody else is wearing, like, their leather gear, too. Mm -hmm. So, like, everybody's... And it's um, and there were lots of different types of people there, but it's mostly men, correct. And there's yeah. lots of different types of people, but mostly men, mm -hmm. and like mostly men in like just like the blackest leatherest outfit of all, right? <laughs> the daddiest of all the leather daddy yes, outfits, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then like you're up there on stage, and um, you gave a speech that was where you you know, talked about your identity. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question is like, was that a choice to like, was there ever a moment where you're like, maybe I don't want to mention this? Was there, I'm curious about like what you knew you wanted to say in that moment. My, my trans identity is very important to me. And it's something I'm very out about now because I have the privilege of living someplace where it's safe for me to be out about it, and I'm very supported by my community. So I feel almost like it's a responsibility for me to 
be visible and be vocal because I can. There are a lot of trans people in different places in the world that have to be stealth, whether they want to be or not, um, either for safety or survival, access to employment. So for me, being vocal about my identity is very important. Um, I also wanted to make it clear that I intended as part of my platform, if I were to win this title, to utilize this title to support the trans community in Los Angeles. It was a really awesome speech. Thank you. You got a standing ovation. I did. I was screaming at you. I was too shy to turn around and look at. I know. I was screaming at you, turn around! Because you were exiting the stage and you got a standing ovation. Um, And I think, you know, something that I realized is that I... Well, first of all, a lot of times in my life, I have experienced things from the stage and not the audience just Mm -hmm. because of what my job is. Um, But... I've also, like, been to a lot of things. I go to events all the time. Um, I think it is rare to have a group of people listen to, you know, like a member of the community, but that is more marginalized. Like, just the the, the physicality. That's why I was, like, describing the space. There's, like, a balcony and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's all these people facing you and you're this like person that's you know you're we're all a part of the same community um in various ways like the leather community or i mean i'm not in the leather community but i would but i'm in the queer community and that there's uh intersections of everybody in that room otherwise they wouldn't have been in that room together and here you are this person that like shares these identities but is in a marginalized position um and to just like hear have people sitting and listening to you and then applaud that it's i realized like how um like rarely I've gotten the opportunity to be the person sitting in the audience and listening to that. I think maybe, maybe I've been on the other side of that. Like maybe I've been the gay person that mm-hmm. spoke to a giant room of straight people. Not maybe I've definitely yeah. been that person, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but um, you know, or like, but even with comics and stuff, like if there's like a queer comic of color, like I'm usually in the side or the back. I don't usually get to be. You don't get to sit there and see it. I don't get to usually get there and sit there and see it. It was so powerful. Well, this class, like meaning this 2019 class of contestants was incredibly special. And I will forever, forever be honored and humbled that I got to be a part of this class because this was also the first time that there wasn't a single cis white man Uh, that was a contestant on that stage. So I was the only white person on that stage. So, and that happened organically because all all of us had to win our respective feeder titles. So it's not like somebody within the organization said like, we need to have, you know, more people of color and we need to have a trans contestant. So that's who we're going to pick. It just, it just happened that way because that's what the community was ready for. And it was really beautiful. You know, I don't know if you, like, saw this at all, but there was, um, because there was, like, a a video or a slideshow where it went, like, like, Mr. L.A. Leather, like, 1995 or 90, like, it did a countdown. I can't remember Mm -hmm. how far back it went, but it was, like, all these faces of these past winners. 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Um, 
And a lot of them were in the room too, which was cool. Like yeah. they'd be like, burr, 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 you know, like, <laughs> like that's them. Um, but it was all the faces of the winners and it was striking uh, that it was like white man, white man, white man, white man, white man, white man. And then it was like maybe three or four years ago that there's, there was like, uh, yeah, black, black man. Or like, mm-hmm. then, I, then I think there were, there were a couple, there were a couple winners of color. Yes. They were all, it was, it was. They were not evenly dispersed. It was not like, you know, it was like pretty clear that there was just one um, type of person that was being like rewarded or like lauded. Right. Well, I mean, we have this and it's talked about a lot in the leather community of this Tom of Finland archetype that people look to as like, this is who we want to lift up as um, the ideal in our community. And slowly the the leather community is having more of a dialogue about representation, implicit bias, and flat-out racism. So there was a great panel recently that was put on by the um, Avatar and um, and a lot of the uh, Onyx Southwest members as well, which is a, a leather organization for men of color. And just started, just kind of scratched the surface on this conversation about race in the leather community. So, and there's a lot of healing that needs to happen surrounding that, that topic in our community. So. I can't believe that you have that going on in the leather community, whereas in the rest of the queer community, we have completely figured this out. (laughs) (laughs) What a weird thing that you're dealing with this. I can't. Yeah. Um, no, I mean it sounds it sounds like a I I almost want to say like a reckoning, but that's not the right. It sounds like a catching up with ourselves that we need to do across the board. So, not surprised to to hear that it's happening in that community right. since uh um yeah. It's happening in the TV shows that make it on air. It's happening in the, you know, whatever. It's it's everywhere. And uh and it is the awareness around it is changing, which is good. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we're more and more people are becoming willing to sit down and get uncomfortable and have hard conversations with each other. Yeah. And, and making space to listen to people's pain, people who don't look like us and just shutting our mouths and opening our ears and listening without, without taking things personally and trying to find some, like I said earlier, find some healing that's right. And and I think like paramount remembering that it is not new. Like that's another thing mm-hmm. that's interesting is like, you know, like there's a world you can look at that and go, oh my God, three years ago, men of color started being part of the leather community. You know what I mean? Like I feel like sometimes that's the that could be the white person's read on conversations that we're having now. Or that could mm-hmm. be the cisgender person's read on talking about trans issues. Like, wow, I can't believe now we're like it's like trans people are everywhere and we have to talk about it now. It's like, <laughs> no, fuck you. Like they're like the Onyx community, this like leather like that already existed. Yeah. You know it exists now. That's the only change. Yeah. You know, and, and same thing for like cisgender people. The only being thing like, that's changed is your awareness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean I think it's important to like definitely acknowledge that for a large portion of the leather community's history, like people of color were not welcome. Mm. So it's it's not like oh you know they've 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 been here and you just didn't notice it's like no like you legit 
didn't allow them to come to your parties or your bars or um, like you, it, it was made known that they weren't welcome. So things are changing. I think things that that's changing. also, I'm glad for that distinction because I think that, you know, when I think about like the quirk communities, um, I guess I'm thinking about that, how that also applies to like talking about cis to talking you know like me as a cisgender person if i talk to another cisgender people it is easy to sometimes be like trans people have always been here like that's mm -hmm. like that's like a, a a narrative that it's easy to say out of your mouth but you're following it up with like i mean it's not that it's not that trans people have always been here we were like Get the fuck out of here. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, that's, I, mean, I think, are, a really good, like, it's, it, thing to keep in yeah. mind as those two things working and I, together. I, I mean, I speak to that because also, like, there are there are still some spaces where trans people aren't welcome. And that's some right. And leather spaces. And more and more spaces are opening up. More organizations are looking at their policies and, uh, and analyzing, like, do these rules really serve our organization or are these rules that we need to change? And I'm I'm grateful for that. There are, you know, an example. My spouse and I are traveling to Europe in a couple weeks, and I know because I had to schedule my haircut around your trip. Know, right? <laughs> but we're traveling to Europe, and um, I'm going there as Mr. Los Angeles Leather, and I am not going to be allowed to go into the leather bars in the city that we're visiting. Oh, wow. Wow. Because they're for cis men only. Wow. Wow. Unless they happen to be having a special night. They have a special night like once a month where they let women and trans people come. Wow. So That's painful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that sounds it is. painful. It is, and I—, I uh, I'm hopeful that these things can change in these places as well. And I I can only speak to my experience, but I feel pretty confident that if you were to speak to a, a, a leather man of color, they would probably be able to voice feeling feeling unwelcome or being outright barred in in spaces still today. So but and I'm not bringing any of this up to disparage my community. No, no. Because I love my I love my community. <laughs> what I do love though is that like the converse, the conversations are happening. Also, holding people accountable often means you respect them enough to think that they can hear it. Absolutely. So I mean Absolutely. We can have these conversations and <laughs> and, and it's uh and it can be in it can be in that vein. It's with love. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's because I care very much about this yes, community, that's right. which is why it's important to kind of bring up the areas where we have an opportunity to be better. So you're going to Europe and this is actually, it's like perfect timing because I wanted to come back around to this question and we have just enough time to do it. I was asking you earlier, like how you and your spouse are read, because I think that's also just something we don't talk a lot about. Like, so you're... You know, it's like, especially a thing, a time I think about that being especially important or, or like um, relevant or something is like when you travel, like that's mm -hmm. one of those times it, it pops to the surface or whatever. So if you two are together, how do you think the, or how are you, what, what feedback are you getting from people? What do you? It varies. Um, so my, my spouse uh, passes 
more than I do that that nice like problematic concept of passing, but um, is is perceived as male much more frequently than I am. Um, so I feel like I don't necessarily have a very realistic view of how I'm read and how we're read when we're together. So what do you, what do you think is the, like, what is your, what is your unrealistic view? <laughs> My what is your, what, what I is feel your... like people just, I feel like I don't pass at all ever. <laughs> um, and a lot of that too is because I get mammed all the time. I get sheed all the time. And uh, I've, I've kind of like had to just get myself to a place where I just kind of go, oh, oh well. I, I, I'm honestly, I'm too tired to correct people most of the time. I just like let it go. That's interesting. I, yeah. I mean, I guess I. <sighs> it's like the. It's, <laughs> it's like the. The unfortunate. Like in the. Like in the. In the. um, Like if I'm using like. Gay dude tropes. To describe you. Like if I'm like. You're like a. You're like a pretty boy like you're like you know what I mean well, thank you you have like pretty you have like a, you know and I mm-hmm. and I guess it's like it's like a bummer that that makes that that like particular part of your identity like causes confusion because it butts up do you know what, it, I, right. do you know what well, I'm saying it confuses me because like I will let like my facial hair kind of like shag out a little I don't wear a beard because it's like spotty and weird looking on me but I do like to wear a little bit of scruff and I still get mammed I don't understand that I at all I don't understand but also it. like I, people do not look people are that is very confusing that I'm what? I have all all of all the time. <laughs> I believe you. Of course, yeah. I also had like my voice. It's my, my voice is a lot deeper today because I was yelling in a bar all day yesterday selling raffle tickets. Mm-hmm. So like I definitely don't always sound mm-hmm. this this mm-hmm. deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I think my voice clocks me a lot and my mannerisms. I don't I I I I didn't put down a whole bunch of arbitrary standards of of gender expression just to pick up a whole new set. Right. So I still I I'm I'm very swishy. Yeah, I guess that's why I said the pretty boy. Like it's like yeah. there there is actually like a there's like an actual you know um, I don't know like you you read there's a lot of gay men that that read in a similar way to you totally and that that's totally. kind of what i'm but saying but also like people are constantly questioning the masculinity of of gay men that read exactly that way. so yeah. it's because if anybody behaves in any way yeah. that isn't like the the pinnacle of masculinity then that you know, automatically negates all of your masculine identity right so that's a that's a deeper conversation. It's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. we'll get. We can, that's a whole thing. That's gonna be in part two. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, actually, I guess just like, and I hope this isn't like. I think it's. I think it'd be okay to ask, but you can you can tell me if not. Like, how does that feel if you like this is a person you love and trust and like your partner and stuff, and mm-hmm. if if they have an easier time walking through the world and like, do you have a, 
Is that something that, how do you deal with that? That seems you know hard. What? Like that, it, there's a lot of other layers to that because my spouse is also a person of color. So I, I don't think that they walk through the world easier than, than I do by any stretch of the imagination, particularly since they, they transitioned from being read as sort of this scrappy brown dyke to now being read as a man of color, which for a lot of Americans is like a man of color is like the scariest thing that they can imagine. So the assumptions that people make about them because of them being perceived as a brown man definitely does not make their their walk through this world easier than mine. So Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I mean so that's there I, I have a, a great deal of privilege that I move through the world with and um yeah. like to make sure that I acknowledge that. That makes so, I th- good. It's annoying. Yes. It's annoying and inconvenient for me to be misgendered. Um, some of the 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 ways that people treat treat pony in juxtaposition with how that same person will turn around and treat me is um, it's very sad and it's kind of infuriating at times. And uh, that's also one of the challenges of of an interracial relationship. Um, I can only speak from the experience of being the white person in that relationship, but it's given me a whole different perspective on, on the disparity of how people are treated in our country. Yeah. I mean, especially... You know, I think... I'm so glad that you, I'm so glad I asked this question to get this answer. It's such a thoughtful answer. I'm so, I'm so appreciative that you shared it. And I, I think, you know, I think about, of course, the fear that you're talking about. And then I think specifically about like the way that um, Pony presents, which is like, mm-hmm. they have like face tattoos. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like, I happen to know that that is one of the most gentle people on this yeah. planet, you know? And I think that, um, the things that we can, as a culture, try to glean information from are sometimes just providing us with the wrong information. Absolutely. Like, well, obviously also, race is one, yeah. obviously. But well, then we're all functioning from this place of, of implicit bias mm-hmm. that has been implanted in us from the time we were children, yeah. from the things that we hear, the media that we consume, all of it. Yes. And it takes a lot of time to undo all that bullshit. And it takes a lot of very deliberate internal work. And sadly, a lot of folks won't do that work. Some of them can't do that work, but I'm, I feel grateful that I feel like a majority of the people that I keep in my life are doing that work and are trying and I'm trying. I know I'm not perfect and I know I don't say the right thing all the time. And sometimes like as my spouse will point out to me, they'll be like, dude, you're being like an insensitive dick right now. Or like they will point out to me like you're not you're not 
you're not seeing your privilege right now in this situation. And I kind of have to stop, not get defensive, not take it personal, just stop and listen and check in and then try and be better. Elliot, you're the best. <laughs> I, I really have loved talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Did you, how, are you okay? I know you were, I know you were, I know you I were like, so nervous. you were nervous, <laughs> you were nervous, but you, it was, you were extremely well-spoken and um, I really appreciate your time. And I want to ask you before I send you back out into your day, if you would shout out a queero. Picking one is so hard. Mm. Sorry. And I knew you were going to ask this question. <laughs> I've been thinking about it and I'm like, oh God, who am I going to say? I know it's tough. So I, I'm going to shout out an organization to start. I love it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to shout out Onyx Southwest. Um, they are one of the first cis male leather spaces that I felt comfortable in from the time that I walked in the door. And so that organization is really, really special to me. And the work that they do is just amazing. Amazing, like hands down. And I want to shout out a person as well. I'm getting greedy here. Yeah, do it. <laughs> um, I want to shout out Bambi Salcedo of the Trans Latina Coalition and the work that she does in the in the community is amazing, deep and fiery, and really, really important in regards to grassroots grassroots work here in Los Angeles. Awesome. Well, we'll send a <laughs> kiss up into the sky. Elliot, you are going to go compete in International Mr. Leather when? Uh, Memorial weekend, a few weeks. So literally days after I get back from Europe. Well, I cannot <laughs> wait to hear how it goes. We will keep the query listeners posted. Go get them. Represent our city well. And uh, I believe in you. Thanks, yeah. friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, buddy. Bye. Bye.